Um, Sam, after he read his poem, read for us the first of our lectionary readings, which was from 2 Samuel. Um, so uh, hopefully you were, uh, were paying sharp attention. I'll refer back to it uh, later. I'm going to read now from the rest of the lectionary readings from the uh, book of Romans, chapter 16, and from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. These readings will be behind me on the screen if you'd like to see them. This is the last three verses of the book of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And then from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived, also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word that has spoken to us still. Your word that has power because it comes from you. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear and to receive, to assume this posture that we see in Mary. Let it be true in us as well. Let our hands be open. Let our hearts be open wide to receive all that you give us in the gospel. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, the theme of this week is, is love, which is, uh, which is a good one. Big fan of love. Um, these these uh, verses turn our eye to the unexpected nature of everything that's happening. And, uh, you know, I, I spend time teaching people who don't have a lot of familiarity with the Bible and in um, college classes. Some people, though, have a kind of familiarity because they've grown up in places like this, but they haven't really gotten themselves, like, nose to the, to the page, sort of close to what's going on. So when we get to the story of the gospel, when we get to the story of Jesus, people who've grown up in the church, um, 
they find it surprising that people in Israel did not anticipate what the people would come to say of Jesus. They would say, how did Israel not just see this coming? God promised like all of this stuff in the Old Testament. It's so clear and it's so obvious. And uh, that's not exactly true. Some of what they said in those kind of statements is true. There is reason that Israel would have some sort of expectation. But in a lot of ways, uh, nobody saw this coming. It's entirely surprising. And this is often the case in, throughout the scriptures that people think they know what it is that God will do or he should do or when he'll do it. And they have some pieces of it right sometimes, but are then often crucially and dramatically wrong. And so they're perpetually being surprised about what God is actually doing. Uh, you can hear it in the reading that Sam did from 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, King David makes a kind of very natural conclusion. Because he's finally, if you know the story of David and the books of Samuel... David has taken a long time to come in power. He receives the promise that he'll be the king, like in the middle to the first half of the book of 1 Samuel, and it takes him years and years and years to actually become king. And by 2 Samuel chapter 7, he's actually king in Jerusalem. And he builds a house for himself. He lives, instead of running from cave to cave, he lives in a palace and he says, it's not right that I should have a palace and God doesn't. That seems fair. That seems to be a logical conclusion. And so he says that he wants to build a palace or a house for God. And God at first just says, no, I don't need your house. And then he says to honor David and honor David's heart, he says that he will let his family build him a house even though he doesn't need it. You can hear it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He said, look, I've been with Israel this whole time, moving from place to place. I have never sent the judges of Israel to tell you to build me a house. I've never needed that. So David expects that God is basically like him, but obviously way better. And so he should have a house that's like his, but obviously way better. This makes loads of sense. And it's a natural expectation, but God subverts his expectations and says, I actually don't need that at all. I'm going to let you do this for me to bless you and to honor you. And I'm actually going to build you a house. He, he flips David's language on its head. And of course, he doesn't mean like a physical structure. He means I'm going to build you a family legacy. I'm going to build you a ruling household that's going to way outlast any kind of structure. It's going to, to, to be on the earth forever and ever and ever. David, David expects that God has kind of needs like he does, or at least should be honored like David is honored. And God has his eye on something entirely different. And there's nothing more unexpected than what happens with Mary. This... If you're, if you're tracking sort of the, the story of Israel, this is happening in the wrong place. Galilee in the north of Israel is not the good part. All of the country bumpkins live up there. There's nothing important and powerful. They're borderline pagans in the mind of people who live near Jerusalem where the 
temple is because they're so far away and they don't maybe follow all the rules like they're supposed to. And this woman, who really isn't even a woman, she's probably like my daughter's age, who's 15, who's unmarried, who's betrothed. She has this angel come to her and tell her that now God's plan is going to be enacted and here's how it's going to work. You, an unmarried woman who's never known a man like this, you're going to become pregnant. Now, who expected that? Nobody. Certainly not Mary. Mary did not expect this. You could see it in her response. How? How is this? I'm not quite sure how this is supposed to work. And what's announced is that God is going to do something that is entirely unforeseen. That is, in, in a moment, something's going to happen inside Mary's womb that will revolutionize everybody's understanding of who God is and how he works in the world. And the, in this, the surprising nature of it, the unexpected nature of what God intends to do in the world, will follow her son's ministry the entirety of his life. They will continue to have a list of expectations for what a descendant of David who purports to be a savior and deliverer, what he should be doing. And Jesus just keeps going right along with what the God of Israel has always done, taking people's expectations and set them to the side and done something entirely different and yet altogether better is what the author is. And this is... This is an important thing to, to have us hear this last Sunday of Advent. Because we are meant to be a people who look to Mary as a kind of ideal disciple. In, in Luke's gospel, there is maybe no more ideal a disciple than Mary. Because Mary lays aside her, her expectations so freely and so fully in her response to Gabriel. You know, Protestants get a little freaked out, to very freaked out, by the way that Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox talk about Mary. And unfortunately, in the freaked out response, just sort of set her aside. But Mary truly is remarkable. Truly she was respected and honored from the earliest days of the church for a reason. Because she is this disciple that hears the unexpected announcement of God's plan and work in the world and offers the entirety of herself. She, she says, you can have even the depths of my body in fulfilling what it is you want to do in the world. I mean, that is discipleship. That is surrender. Most people, you and I, don't surrender to the will of God in that way. But Mary does. And God moves in into the unexpected and unexceptional and does something remarkable. And this is a crucial thing to see and to hear in the season of Advent. Is that we are people 
who are often looking in the wrong direction. And we don't even always know what it is that we are longing for. But we know we are driven and pushed by something that makes us hungry and thirsty. Look, some of you are in the middle of, of literally the most fun season of life. You, you're sitting here on December 24th, and all you can see in your life as you picture your life is joy. And that's a wonderful thing. That, that is a good thing. And you should embrace it and honor it and celebrate that. Probably pay more attention to it than you actually are. But it's also a cover and a distraction from other things that are sort of rumbling around in your life. And there is a way that you and I can take joy and light and brightness and happiness and use it as cover and never, never look at the things that are really causing us to hunger beneath the surface, trying so hard to fill the hunger of our souls with all of the brightness and merriness. And other people, you are in a painful season of your life. You're here on December 24th, there's light and brightness and Christmas carols and all the holiday commercials and everything like that, and it's all just salt in your wounds because you're lonely, because you're depressed, because you're rejected, because you are unfulfilled, or on and on and on and on. And, and you're here today, and thank God that you are, because you've plunged yourself willingly into a room full of almost torture. And you think you know what you are longing for. You think you know what it is that you need. And both of us, whether we are full of joy or in the depths of misery, we are wise to listen to what the scriptures say, is that our eyes are often on the wrong place. And we do not know, actually, what it is that we need. Mary's surrender in this moment is not based upon her knowing. There is so much that she does not know in this moment. She still does not understand. Nobody understands how she is to become pregnant in that moment. I'm confident there is no like anatomy diagram drawn out with an explanation of cell division and things like that. She doesn't know how this is going to work. She doesn't know what her life will look like. How is she supposed to make her way in the world as an unwed young woman with no means to make an economy for herself, and she will become pregnant in a world that will not look at that with a kind eye. And she is told this thing about this child called the Son of God. What does that even mean? She has no idea. She certainly doesn't know everything that we will come to know about her son in that moment. She doesn't know what will be required of her as his mother to both raise him and then to watch him be murdered. She can't know. All that she has delivered to her is the overarching promise that is delivered. It is the angel's words from God that allows her to trust that what will happen to her 
even in the midst of her unknowing and misplaced expectations, will actually and irrevocably be for her good. This is what he says. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This promise is both everything and very little at the same time. And this is precisely how God works in the world. You and I have delivered over to us in the middle of our joy or in the middle of our misery or somewhere in between enough given to us in the proclamation of the promise. You have enough and you don't have everything nearly at all. And so we become people who wait expectantly. This is actually how Jesus will talk about his second coming. You know, this is the season of Advent. We are not just looking to Jesus' first coming. We are looking forward to his second coming. And the, the metaphors, the stories that Jesus describes are of this unknowing expectation. What he tells his people is be watching and be ready. Be like the, the friend of the bridegroom who's waiting for the, the knock in the night. Be ready as if it might come, but you don't know when. Even the stories that Jesus tells in and of themselves have these notes of knowing but unknowing. And this describes what our lives are until the day that he fully and finally comes. You are in the middle of a season in which God has told you to expect something of him. You can expect him to be faithful. You can expect him to be good. You can expect him to move towards you in love. And you have to release from your hand all other expectations. You do not know what your life will hold. You cannot know. You do not know when this pain will end, when the season of joy will end. You do not know how things will be better, or how they will get worse. But what is enough for you and I to know in this moment is that he will be faithful to you, that he will do good to you, and that he will move close to you in love. Listen to what is promised to David. The promise that David receives about his household, we believe, is delivered over to his people now. <clears throat> I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel 
will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. I don't know how this promise works itself out in the day of our waiting and expectation. But I do know enough. Because what I know is that God is so committed to fulfilling his promise that he will invite the violence of violent men upon himself. That the enemies that I still face in my soul and see in the world, he has made his own enemies. And he has destroyed and undercut their power forever. And I have been given to me his own name because he baptized me in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, a name that will last forever, even when mine is long forgotten. And I know that when Jesus went to the cross and into the grave and ultimately out of the grave, he established for me a place of rest at his side now and forevermore. So that even now, the peace of God is for me a down, a down payment and an extended and fulfilled promise to come. I don't know everything, but I do know Jesus who is crucified and resurrected because he loved me. The great love of God for his people now and forever is what carries us and sustains us in our hour of waiting. And it will be what carries us through every moment of all of our unfulfilled expectations, all of our great joys, which point to much better joys. This is the great good news that Paul proclaims in Romans 16. The mystery which has been revealed that God has been moving in for thousands of years, for ages and ages, has finally been revealed that all of those whose longings are fulfilled in Jesus, they will be safe with him and in him forever because of the great love of God for his people. And today, if you are here and you are in the middle of a great season of joy in your life, or you're in the middle of a season of sorrow, your eyes are being redirected by the scriptures to God himself, who's presented himself in Christ Jesus. The, the cause of your joy, in many ways, seems to be all around you, but it, it can be a sleight of hand, it can fool you. Don't be fooled. The shining lights, the rapt presence, the feeling of joy in the air, pumped out by the machine of consumerism. It is not the real thing. It's fun. It's good, even, when that joy is rich and meaningful. 
but your eyes are being directed instead to God, who in Christ has declared in his own body that he loves you and will be faithful to you forever. And if you are in the season of misery, know that you are not alone. There are a great many of people like you because we still live in a world that is full of darkness and pain and sin and sorrow. And God has always had his eye on people like you. But don't be deceived. Don't listen to the darkness when it tells you that if you only had this or that or were given this thing or that thing, then your joy would be made whole. Those things may be right and good to long for. But it is Jesus to whom your eye is meant to be drawn. Because he will never fade away. He will never fail you. And he will draw close to you in his love now and forever. And if you find yourself here on December 24th, because you're here visiting family or something, and you don't normally go to church, and this is frankly the most disappointing Christmas sermon you've ever heard. (laughs) One, it is not Christmas. Two, the God who we look to and longing and expectation has come here for you. He came for you. Today, he sent me to tell you that everything that you've hung your hopes on or everything that you've longed for and then crushed you, those things are nothing compared to him. And he has come for you in love because he would deliver to you more than you could ask or imagine. He would give you himself, a promise that will not and cannot be revoked, no matter the highest of highs or lowest of lows. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but instead receive this gift that he would give to you. And he will continue to give the gift of himself forever and ever until all of your discarded expectations are cast aside and you finally see him face to face and you will know that the light has come forever. He is the great hope of his people. He is the longing of our hearts. May our prayer in response no matter where we are in this room, be the same as Mary's. Let it be done to me, as you have said, as you will. And the Holy Spirit will come upon people like that. Let's pray. Living God, we give you thanks. We cannot, we cannot box you in. We cannot dictate terms to you. And that can be so frustrating Maddening, disappointing, heartbreaking at times. We, we would love to be able to dictate terms to you. But we give you thanks because you give us better than what we asked for. You are doing better for us than we could hope for or long for. And we are so grateful for faithfulness like yours. We thank you that your love comes close to us. 
we thank you that even when we are mad at you for not doing what we would want when we would want it, you still persist in working out your will in goodness and kindness and love towards us. You are so patient and kind and good towards us. This, this is the great glory that is now revealed in Christ Jesus. And you deserve all glory and honor. God, I pray for all of us who are in here who, who are following you. God, I pray that our hearts would more and more look like Mary's. That our hearts would be submitted and open. That we would be cast down in wonder and, and confusion. But still be able to say to you, do whatever it is you want with me. The entirety of me. All of me. And God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Overshadow us. Overpower us again and again by the power of your love. So that you would do what is far better than we could hope for. And God, I pray for those who are here who don't follow you, who don't trust you yet. I pray that they would hear the announcement of the angel. And that it would be in the room for them too. That Christ was born took on their own flesh to deliver them and all that they are. God, I pray that today their hearts would be soft and they would respond to the best good news they've ever heard. Father, we are so grateful for all your gifts in Christ Jesus. They are more than we can carry, more than we can handle. And I thank you that the day is coming when our eager waiting will be ended. Our expectations will be blown away once more, and the light of God will outshine the sun, and we won't even know that it has passed away. May that day come quickly. We are waiting eagerly and expectantly, Lord Jesus. We are hungry for you to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.